Well, we uh, are getting our Bibles open, getting ready to uh, get into letting uh, the Lord speak to us here today. This is a type delivered out of the lion's mouth. We've moved uh, near the end of uh, Paul's life as we have been tracing through this epistle for um, quite a few months. That's what we've been involved in doing on uh, Sundays. And uh, this section often is referred to as the swan song of Paul. It's the last words that he's given. Of course, the whole epistle is four chapters, but uh, we are in the fourth chapter. We're near the end of the fourth chapter. uh, And uh, this is the next to the last message will be given. And then next week, uh, Lord willing, we will uh, finish this one. If... um, the Lord doesn't come back beforehand, and that would be okay. <laughs> uh, Paul's departure was really admirable. You know what? The way that he finished his life uh, is just incredible in the circumstances that he was in. He's not a one-man band. He's not doing everything by himself. But it's easy to think of Paul that way in him doing all the ministry that he did. We often think of Paul and doing his thing and doing it alone, but he did not do that as far from that. He he, uh, had a missionary team, and it's as many as a hundred of them. Actually, probably more. But on that team, they're all associated with him. They're very faithful to Paul and and the Lord and, and the ministries they did. And Paul just surrounded himself with good men, good godly men, full of the faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they took this good news out everywhere. And uh, so they they worshiped together, they evangelized together, they fellowshiped together. Uh, You know that uh, their hearts just poured out in prayer together. You know, we are better together than we are alone. You guys know that? You agree? Yeah. We're better together than we are alone. These guys were loyal to Paul, and they helped advance the kingdom of God. They they took it out. They went further and further, and this kingdom of God just grew. Paul counted on them for him to do what he did. He needed these guys, and uh, so many did it. They were loyal and faithful, but there were, were some exceptions. The exceptions are the ones that we see recorded in 2 Timothy. We, we saw one last week as we looked at Demas. Uh, he forsook Paul there in Rome. He was one of the very few that was even left around there. He, he left and it said he loved this present world. Now that, That's pretty sad that that would happen. He loved this present world. You know, he, He's one who had uh, been with Paul and for um, probably several years, and he administered with him. We see him in other places where Paul commends him. So we'll look at uh, some others today. Some just kind of leave him and the lurch, and then others just oppose him. Now I'm putting that in the plural. It's not that we're going to look at that many, but um, Paul definitely had enemies all around. We know that, and they were everywhere, all throughout the world. They didn't really know him, but whatever he said, they didn't like. And what he really said was the gospel, the truth. And they didn't like it. And I want to tell you, the gospel is the dividing line, isn't it? It is what separates 
people. Either people will line up with you on the side of the gospel, or they won't. And uh, they can be against you. They can oppose you. And that's what we'll see here today, this one man that uh, opposes Alexander. So, you know, a careful look at this. I think we can get some practical insights into this man of God, this apostle, and kind of what made him, who he was. He's very human. He is just like an open book, isn't he? He opens himself up and lets you look at him. And uh, that's hard for humans to do. It's very hard. Um, we, you know, he just cries out, almost in despair in a way at, at this time. He's wrestling with his feelings. He has feelings just like us. He has emotions just like us. And he'd have been abandoned at the time, really, of maybe his greatest need that he had had ever. And he's abandoned. He's disappointed with with certain people. On the other hand, he is strong and he's confident in the Lord at the same time. Now that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That he would still be confident of God, and he's he's saying, "Oh well, the Lord let me down too," and just get off in the corner, and you know, he doesn't want to deal with the Lord anymore, at least for the time being. But he says it in chapter four, verse eighteen: "The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever." Amen. So, really, the flavor of our text is not so simplistic in that. Okay, you know, everything is fine here. Yeah, I'm in jail, but it's okay. Hey, it's really, you know, it's cool. It's it's great. I, I'm really, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm facing death with no problem. You, you don't see that either with Paul. I mean, it's not that he's shifting the attention on him. It's always about God. To God be the glory, right? <clears throat> but he is true to who he is too and what he feels. And sometimes we, we can take the feelings away and not think about you know others' feelings or whatever, but he has a strong, set confidence in the Lord, no matter what. You know, this is our focus. This is our target this morning: is the strength that God gives us to face each day. You know, to, to focus on that that He rescues us in some of the most trying, difficult times. And adverse circumstances. He rescues us, doesn't He? That's what we see in this uh, this lesson here, I think, among other things. But regardless how people can let us down, what kind of circumstances we can be in, whatever is happening, the Lord is on our side. We know that, but we need to be reminded. I think even this morning, we need to be reminded the Lord is on our side. He will never, ever let us down. He never has. He's not doing it now, and He never will for eternity. He's always there at our sides, and He's always strengthening us. No matter what is happening, we rely upon Him. Totally reliant. God kept strengthening Him through all the things that He went through, all the strength, all the zeal that Paul has. He knows where it comes from. And he's taking the gospel to the world. And when you say world, you've got to say, well, that's the world system, and it goes against the grain of the gospel. It does, doesn't it? You ever notice everything that you believe in, it seems like whatever the world is, it's almost always flip-flopped on the other side. There used to be a song called Upside Down. Remember that one? 
It's every, almost everything now. As you, as you learn more about God, you find out everything out in the world is the opposite. And that's the way it is. So, you know, that's what God had in mind to proclaim the message fully for Paul. And that's what he's doing. God has a purpose. It is to be fulfilled. And that means Paul is going to have to go up against the brunt of all this. And he's done it. He's done it all of his life. So, we study this text this morning. May we realize that we always need a strengthening. And the strength always comes from the Lord. It's never in us. And we need to be delivered and rescued out of certain things. And He does that. He does it every day. On a constant daily basis, God is doing that. That's nothing new, is it? Boy, I didn't tell you anything new at all right there. So we'll uh, go ahead and get into the text. And, you know, sometimes we don't really need anything new. It's the gospel and the grace that God gives us. So let's read the text. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy. Near the end of the epistle, he says in verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me, here we go, and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. And may this truth sink deeply into us as it already is, but yet even be more so in our lives as we live the relentlessly desiring and pursuing You and also desiring to get the Gospel out. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 13, pick it up right there. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Apparently, Paul left his valuable coat. You ever left anything and knew you needed it later? Now, I'm not saying he forgot. We don't get a reason why why this is, but why did Paul want his cloak? Well, that's pretty easy. Winter's coming. <laughs> uh, it's, it's cold. He's in prison. It's cold. It's dark. It's damp. He needs the cloak. And it kind of tells you a little bit about the economic condition because we're, we're talking about Rome, Carpus. We're talking one world here and then another world here. They're worlds apart. I mean, it's a long way away. So you'd say, okay, hop on down to the store. Dollar General. Go down to Dollar General and pick up a coat. Uh, first of all, it's not that easy. And secondly, uh, these cloaks were very expensive. 
And you, so you just don't go down to the store and pick it up, but he calls for somebody to bring it from one part of the world to another. Uh, one part of Europe to another party, halfway across Europe or whatever. Uh, boy, this is totally out of uh, our lifestyle, isn't it? This is totally different than the way we think. Now, this is a heavy-like garment. Uh, it's made of wool, really thick. Uh, it would have a hole cut in it so you could put it over your head, come on down on it. So it's it works like a, a coat. You could even use it like a bed, and you could just fold yourself up into it like a sleeping bag. And uh, he would definitely need that. Winter's coming, and that dungeon being the way that it is, he needs some kind of uh, something covering physically. Uh, so he knows where it's at. You know, usually when you leave something, sometimes you go, I can't remember where it's at. Well, he knows where it's at. It, it's at Carpus, and he knows that there is one who can bring it. Uh, it's at Troas uh, with Carpus. And it might be at Carpus's house. And maybe Carpus is uh, one who hosted uh, church meetings there at his house. We don't know. But uh, for some reason, it's there. For some reason, uh, of course, the, the books, uh, the parchments uh, are there. Um, uh, somebody uh, has stated that the reason that he could have left it there, a possibility, you don't want to read into it too much, but it's possible. Think about it. Maybe he was arrested in Troas and, of course, transferred to Rome. This is, going to be, this is his last imprisonment, not his first one. And maybe he was taken there without being able to go back to the house and get anything that he had. He's arrested on the spot. They, they get him and take him away. And he has what he has on his back. That's a good thought. Could be. Don't know. It's all right. Um, Troas, like I say, is a long way away. Uh, he's saying, Timothy, okay, when you come from Ephesus, Ephesus to Rome, pretty good ways. When you come from Ephesus, he's already said, you know, please come. He, said, when you come, he has confidence that Timothy's going to be there. He's relying on him. So when you come, pick up Mark. He's already stated that. We looked at that last week. Of course, Mark is one that he had the oust with. And, and uh, then now, here it is. Things have changed there. And he says, pick up Mark. Uh, now, go through Troas. When you go through Troas, get my cloak. Get my books. Get my parchments. Travel to the north. Come across that top there. Go on down and, which, and to the area known as Greece. And then across the sea to Italy. And that's that's the uh, the idea. Carpus, we don't know really anything about. He's right here in this verse. That's pretty good to get your name in the Bible when it's a favorable way. Uh, way. I think Carpus is another faithful friend that had something to do with all the ministry that was going. And he administered with Paul. Maybe even ministered to him. Maybe he took him in at his house. Uh, Paul could count on this Carpus. So Paul, uh, we know, had, had definitely had... Must have stayed with him at his at his house, and then he says, uh, "I'm going to say this in um, Alistair Begg's way." I was making fun yesterday because I hear him say the word books, books. We say books. Well, Alistair's uh, Scottish, right? Um, anyway, uh, books here is um, I think. Let's see. The word for that is biblia. Biblia in Greek means book. Now I'll never get away from that. I'll be saying that the rest of my life. <laughs> um, there are copies there. And, and let's say if it's the Old Testament, well, you know that means a lot there. Um, the point is, is that he, he's not finished reading 
he knows he's going to die. He's in, on his last leg, literally. I mean, he, you know, this is this is it. And he still wants to read. He wants to study. He wants to write. May we ever be that way till our dying day, that we would have the opportunity to, to hear the Word of God, to be able to read it, to be able to study it. Uh, I think it says something for you know books and reading that and helping uh, in our studying. I have to read books. I have to read commentaries. I have to read um, Greek text and uh, get the meanings from uh, particular people that are helpful to be able to bring it all together, to bring it uh, here on Sundays. And uh, so books are good. It's a good thing. And uh, the parchments there, uh, uh, the word, I guess, would be vellum, could be translated to that. Uh, they're animal skin scrolls. And that was elite, the, the parchments. That's important documents. Very important. And, and maybe that was something that uh, had been written down and he wanted to read it, or it could be something that he planned still on writing, you know, and to be able to save that. So these things are real important to him. Bring my, bring my coat and bring my reading materials and writing materials. That's all I want. Perfectly content. Not asking too much, but these are important things. And speaking on the on the topic of books, and you guys know I'm really in favor of books. And of course, we every once in a while we'll get some other books in here that are new, but they're not really new because a lot of them are Puritan works, and we'll get a deal on those. We have those here, and uh, so it's it's nice to know that uh, you know that we can read stuff that's 400 years ago, and and uh, it's still precious to us today. Valuable, or it's books that just been written written recently that can be helpful. But books uh, can be good, but we never want to put them over the Bible. We know that. It starts with the Bible. If that's all you have to read, then that's fine. But if you want to go a little bit further, it's helpful to be able to use those. How else can a pastor grow? How else can a teacher grow without getting some help from people that he's blessed? Spurgeon had a magnificent memory. He could read something and then repeat it back to you verbatim. Matter of fact, you could ask him about a certain thing in a book that he had just read, and he it was just like he could say, "Yeah, that's on page ninety-five. It's about halfway down. It says this. That's a photographic memory. Boy, did God bless him. Boy, has he been a gift to the church here a uh, hundred years later. I mean, that's incredible." And he he read just tons of Puritan books, anything that he could get his hand on. And there are books today now that are in print that weren't in book uh, in, in print that you could read before, and now they're available today. In our times, we can do that. That is just unbelievable. And Spurgeon said this, and he'd want to chide pastors into continue studying. A lot of them had gotten to the point where they didn't want to uh, study and prepare anymore because they already kind of knew it all. Guys, if I just used what I had done 15 years ago, that's a sad statement because I hope in 15 years I have grown a lot more. I don't even want to use some notes that I used before. They can be helpful, but I don't I don't even go back to them. I want to I want to find something even more fresh and some meaning behind it. It's okay to use those. I'm not saying it, but for me I I'd rather just go ahead and uh study more and the reason is is I'd have a hard time finding them anyway. <laughs> no, I, I that's why I say it, it is a good thing. You can glean from that. Write notes in your Bible if you need to and you can go back and you can read that. Um 
in, in, they're valuable. What's that? In, in, in pencil. In, in, yeah, in pencil. <laughs> um, here's what Spurgeon said. I thought this good. Paul is inspired, right, when he writes Scripture. And yet he wants books. He's been preaching at least for 30 years, and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He never had a wider experience. I mean, I mean, he had ever the wider experience than probably almost anybody. And yet he wants books. And he had written a major part of the New Testament. And yet he wants books, along with the Scripture. He wants books. Anyway, I find that fascinating. So you notice I, I got the hammer on that a little bit. Don't give up reading about the cool things that God has available for us. I hope I said that reverently, right? Cool things. Anyway, that's part one. Let's go to part two, and it's at verse 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Alexander the coppersmith. Do we know who he is? Nah. We won't do an unprofitable exercise trying to find out who this guy is, although there are other Alexanders in Scripture. There are Alexanders in the New Testament. It seems like uh, he's probably not any of those, and he could be. Uh, But in Acts 19.33, like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I can show you. It's probably not this guy here in Acts 19.33. There was a riot at Ephesus. And uh, here's Alexander, a Greek name and... Um, some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having mentioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. You know, they're saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great. And they did that for hours. Ridiculous thing going on. And there's Alexander to be blamed. And so that's uh, one Alexander. There's another in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. He says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Wow, Paul. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander could be that guy, because we see the the kind of character he is here in 2 Timothy, as it said in 1 Timothy. So it could be that guy. We don't know, so I won't press it. Um, in Acts 19.24, there actually was a guy... Now, this is dealing with Ephesus too. I didn't refer to that. But there's a guy by the name of... I think this is dealing with Demetrius, the, the silversmith. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. That means he was making a lot of business. Huh? A lot of money. Demetrius, a silversmith... Here we have the guy Alexander, and he's noted here as the coppersmith. Alexander was a real popular name, especially in the Greek world at that day. So uh, that's why we don't want to press that and say, well, there's the guy, there's a guy there. Could be We, we don't know. Uh, but I think it, it may not be any of those because he's identified as the coppersmith. 
And without going deeper into that, it really doesn't matter, does it? Uh, We do know this. Paul is in great harm. Um, He did much harm to Paul. Maybe he did it in Ephesus. Maybe he did it somewhere else. Maybe he ran into him more than once. Paul knows about him, and he certainly wants to warn Timothy about him. This guy can make a mess of things. <laughs> and he could, if, if Timothy's at Ephesus at that time, or maybe he's going to meet him on the route there, or maybe he's even in Rome and he'll run into him there. Uh, whatever it is, he showed ill treatment to Paul, and it was not necessarily in a physical way, but it's in a, a mental way, a spiritual way. It's opposing Paul by opposing his truth that he has. Opposing the gospel. That's what Paul is concerned about. Not that he got his feelings hurt by this guy by the name of Alexander, but that he, this man stood against the truth, the gospel. And yeah, it can be false teaching. Of course, Paul has said that all the way through. He says, um, be on guard against him yourself. But anyway, at the end of verse 14, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul's stating a fact here. He's not bringing down some kind of curse upon him. You know, he's mad at him. He's been offended and everything. No, he's not doing that. But there is a fact, and it's called the fact of God's judgment. God will judge the wicked. There will be, I think there's comfort in the sense that we know that He will judge sin. He will judge all of the um, people who have taken joy in their evil deeds and stood against God, cursed God, blasphemed God, all the things that they did. And in Revelation 18.20, for instance, you have some people being persecuted. And this is a judgment upon Babylon or representing the world, all the sin of that. He says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. Rejoice, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. God is the one that's going to... He's going to take the revenge upon the evil. All the evil deeds, all the evil people in this world, the wicked. He will do that. He is the judge, isn't He? And we should take joy in that there will no longer be sin one of these days. You know, a lot of people want to take and be universalists and say, we're all going to be in heaven. How would you like to be in in heaven with people who don't love God and they carry their evil and wicked deeds in there with them? Would we love that? (laughs) Exactly. John, John Calvin also, though, says that it was not personal revenge that Paul led Paul to say those words, but it was a love for God's truth. 
So as he's saying that the Lord will repay him according to his deeds, it's not that he is wanting to get the revenge, but he's saying God will do that because he loved God's truth. It was offending. It was an offense to God's truth. It was offense to God. And so there is a time for righteous anger. And so when people offend God, that's when we should have the, you know, that kind of anger. But yet tempered with grace and mercy and love. Still called to love this man. Paul knew about opposition to the truth. He knew what it would do. He knew it would cause great spiritual damage to many people. No grudges. Paul had no grudges at the end of his life. But he does have grace. And so he just says, you know, God will, will, will do this. And this is like, uh, out of the Old Testament, you, you will see this. You will see it in the Pentateuch, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 35. We get the lesson here. And he says, Vengeance is mine. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And retribution. In due time their foot will slip for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. I like verse 36 too. For the Lord will vindicate His people and will have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free and He'll say where... Then He goes back vengeance is mine he'll take judgment upon them it's his vengeance he does it we don't we don't have to worry about causing uh, any other things to happen God will take care of it mind you of uh, Romans chapter 2 Romans 2 uh, verse 5 we just go back and have a little bit of exercise in the scripture as we turn back there and get acquainted to what's in Romans Romans 2 what's, what's there oh yeah it's where you have People who have had uh, truth revealed to them, like the Jewish people, and yet they're held responsible for what they uh, have been given. And even the Gentiles are held responsible for what they have been given. And uh, so in Romans 2, at verse 5, he says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds, according to what they've done. Now, if you're the Lord's, it says to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, that's what they'll get. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, these are not believers, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and indignation. And that's the simple judgment, isn't it? If you're God's, your judgment takes place at the cross. If you're not of God, then you'll be judged according to those kind of works. And then if you're in Romans chapter 12, verse 19... Never take your own revenge, beloved. Can't you just see Paul saying this? Don't ever take your own revenge. Don't try to get back at people. Leave room for the wrath of God. And then Paul quotes from Scripture. He was just inspired to write something, and now he's inspired to take something right out of the Old Testament. 
right here in our verse 19. But if your enemy is hungry, vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's not natural. See, what sin does, it turns everything upside down. But God's way of thinking is we don't have to get our revenge. God will take care of it. Be patient. If your enemy's hungry, what do you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? Give him a drink. Oh, well, that goes against the world, doesn't it? How about 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15? 2 Corinthians 11, 15. Therefore, it is not surprising if the servants also disguise themselves, uh, this is on Satan's side, the deceitful workers, as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. They'll be judged on what they've done. And no sinner who is dead in his sins and left with his sins will ever get away with his sin. No person who opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ will ultimately succeed. We That comes from God. God will repay you. God will repay you well done, good and faithful steward. See, He, he is consistent. There's a higher throne than the, I guess you can say the courts that we have today, the high courts, the supreme court. There's a much higher throne, isn't there? The universal throne. The throne of the universe where God sits. The judge of all the earth. He's going to judge justly. Every detail. It'll all be taken care of. Yeah, but he needs a little help here. This guy, you don't know. Yeah, but listen. I could do this. And he says, no, I'll take care of it. Do you believe God? No. Okay, God, you're not doing anything right now, and I can. God says, no, I'll take care of it. I'll do it in my time. You know, Paul's concern is really not about himself. No matter what had been done with him by this Alexander and all other people, he really doesn't care. I have to wonder, it, could Paul even actually walk at this time? You know, all the beatings that he had had? Physically, how could he do much anything else? And I think that's one reason why, again, he's sitting. Because he's able to get this last letter into here. and, and get it. It's been meaningful to us as we are getting close to wrapping it up. He's, he's concerned about the Gospel. That's really what his main concern is. Let us not try to avenge the injuries that's been done to us. Don't mingle it with our own passions. God will take care of it. You don't have to come up with outlandish, crazy things to try to get back to somebody. And then here in Timothy, he says, Hey, hey Timothy, um, watch out. Watch out. Um, this guy... He's bad. 
this bad dude. He vigorously opposed. He not only opposed him, we're talking about with vigor. I mean, he was really out to get him. I know in this world, first of all, it's easy to see the politicians that have such a hatred for Christianity and all that it stands for. And they want to rub it right in our face. And boy, have they done it recently. And they've done it consistently throughout our lifetime. And now we're seeing it bigger than ever. And we love to get back with them. Back at them. But we are, you know, we know that God will take revenge, but at the same time, use wisdom and watch out. Keep your eyes wide open. You don't want to be a rug that just stepped on, but at the same time, we use wisdom with love. Truthing with love. That's quite a balance. That's how God works. And he's saying, Timothy, he'd like to cause you some kind of headache. You you watch out. So there's a warning. He may come in there looking like he's got all the right stuff and everything. Hey, he's cool. If it comes from Paul, say, okay. <laughs> uh, then we'll go to number three. Deserted. This deals with a few people here. Matter of fact, I don't know exactly how many here, but uh, I think it's a pretty big number. At my first defense, no one supported me. So he's saying no one. That's hard for me to really fathom. No one supported me, but all deserted me. I don't know if he's using superlatives here, or he means it literally. I think he means it literally. No one supported me. All deserted me. <gasps> wow. Paul needs some help here. And then he says in the next phrase in the same verse, may it not be counted against them. I think we're getting grace stressed here. An uncommon grace. It's the kind of grace that Jesus gives. At my first defense. The word there, defense, is apologia. And you guessed it. We get our English word <coughs> apology. And it's not that he's saying, hey, I apologize, sorry. But it, it means to give a defense, a speech. It's a speech in defense of something. It actually can be a, a, a legal term, uh, a court term. It was used in the courtroom, a speech in defense. At my first defense, whenever I was in court, maybe before Caesar himself, right there before him. It, it's the idea of a witness or an advocate who comes forward in a courtroom in order to defend a person or speak on their behalf. He didn't have anybody that went into court and was his advocate by himself. Now the verb that's in here, it means to be beside me. There was no one beside me. It's kind of like a technical term, you know, witness, an advocate who comes forward in a courtroom in order to defend a person. He is one who is uh, there in his behalf. He's standing with him. Uh, he says, There was no one beside me. There's no one. So he's using the negative there. No one was beside me. You know, it's hard to imagine that Paul was left alone, but as he's in that courtroom, that's it. It's him. 
That's it. Among all the Christians at Rome, the church at Rome, and none were there to support him. That's sad. I do want to tell you that to be associated with a criminal, and that's really the way that Paul is viewed. He's a criminal. If you associate with him, it's a death wish. Might be the reason why they're not there. It's still kind of sad to hear the great apostle Paul and he's there by himself. Either they could not, that they weren't allowed, or they would not. We don't know. But he has no support. And evidently, it's something that maybe they could have because it says, may it not be counted against them the grace that is in that statement. No revenge. And even the other guy, Alexander the coppersmith, he really was very merciful in that. No grudges. He doesn't call down the vengeance of God here. They had forsaken Him. He's mild. He's merciful. Some people are weary and some are weak. These these are uh, treated a little bit different. He doesn't say that, uh, God, I know that you're going to judge them according to their deeds. He doesn't say that to these guys. It's like these are believers. And it's kind of like what happened to the apostles whenever Jesus was arrested. What happened? They fled. (laughs) They all left. (laughs) And so, I think he's taking the same attitude. I think we all are in a learning process about having compassion on anybody that doesn't deserve it. And so I think uh, Paul is is bringing this forth at a time that would have been uh, a tough time for him. And we've seen this before in Scripture. Of course, you see it in Luke 23, 34. This is Jesus Himself on the cross. He's dying. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They're killing Him. That's the Romans, the Jews. It was us that killed Him there. He died for sin. He says, they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. Well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus, right? But, we're created in God's image and as we are renewed people, then the character and the nature of God starts to be being renewed in our lives. Now we're called to do things that we would never have done before. Don't go back under your old life and base everything upon that. Look at your new life and here's what God says. So many people live in their past and they're still hung up and they're caught on that cycle. However their family was for years, the family before them, the family before them, and we're still caught on that. And he says, forget the things that was behind. Reach out for that prize, the upward goal, the, the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. Go forward. The is the past. It's done. God uses that. We can think about it and say, well, here's what God did out of this. 
but to hold grudges and to live in that past? What are you doing? You don't have to do that. God freed you from that. Matter of fact, He used it. Matter of fact, I'll go as far to say this. He assigned that to happen. That's a little deep, isn't it? Yeah, He can use that. He he ordained it in that sense. There's there's a mystery that's behind it. I know that. I know our human minds cannot grasp that, and that sounds rather offensive, Dennis. But if He didn't want it to happen, He could have kept it from happening because He is God. And God can do anything He wants, right? And He knows everything. He knows every thought. He knows everything that we do and said. So He could deliver us out of those. Most of the time, He does. And we don't even know it. There are other times He doesn't. Why? Why why did He let Paul go through all the things that he did? Why did He let Jesus go through all the things that He did? Because it's in the plan. It's the purpose. Not, I'm not saying that, hey, listen, God made me sin then. I did that sin, and so therefore God made me sin because it's all in His plan. No, we can't ever say that. He never makes us sin. That's what we chose to do. You say, boy, this sounds contradictory. This sounds really ridiculous. But I do want to tell you, God's mind goes much further than what our little teeny, teeny minds can think of. One of these days in eternity, when we have eternal minds and the thinking of God, and it'll be everything will be so clear. Like when you go out into the bright sunshine of the day, it is so different than it was when you were in a dark room. <laughs> oh yeah, the the purpose of God—it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, in Luke twenty, uh, no, 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 uh, Acts. We did that one. Jesus, Father, forgive them, right? In Acts chapter seven, verse sixty. It's Stephen. Stoned to death. He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. Look what happens to him. Oh. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That sounds like somebody we know. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice and he said something else from somebody we know. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them. How can that be? They just stoned him to death for giving them truth. They killed him. And how can he say there, forgive them. Lord, forgive them for what they've just done. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Where did he go? To be with the Lord. It's time to go. You think, well, God could have used him in a ministry. He just did, didn't he? That was his purpose. Wow, that's something, isn't it? You know what Paul said? I was opposed. The Lord will take care of it. I was deserted by this other by by, by believers, people I counted on. I was deserted. But Lord, don't hold it against them. Do you like that? I was opposed. Lord will take care of it. I was deserted. Lord, please don't hold it against them. Forgive them. You know what? The Lord does. <laughs> uh, our next one is strengthened. Because we're in Second Timothy. Boy, just in these little short verses, there's loads of jewels in here, aren't there? So, he says this. 
Now he shifts it and he says, okay, here's what people have done against me and opposing me and some just leaving. But the Lord. And that should be our attitude all the time. Here's what happened. But you know what? There's the Lord. And I do want you to notice he says, the Lord. And he has said that before. There, there you have it uh, here. We'll just uh, You have it in 17, don't you? And in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. So that's what he is driven by. The Lord. The Lord. When we focus on the Lord, kisses. Nothing makes you better. No matter what you're going through, when you focus on the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's focusing on Him. You're loving Him. Focusing on Him. Nothing else can make you better. He acknowledges that He was supported by the very strong arm of the Lord. And you know what? I think Paul was satisfied with that. I think he's content no matter the maritime prison that he's in. Mamatine prison. you got a sewer running right by you. Some of the water leaks in there. It's cold. It's damp. It's dark. Thirty other men stuck in this hole. And he's acknowledging the strength of God. The grace of God is like a shield. No human support Sometimes we can start to give up. We'd like to give up. He's my hope. Right? He's my strength. He's my power. Nothing makes you better when you think on that. Paul wants Timothy to experience that kind of strength. He strengthened me. I love that. The Greek verb is this. It means to infuse with power. He's putting power in you. It's a power in order that he would be a human instrument to preach or to charisma, the gospel, to make a proclamation. That is the goal that is fully accomplished what Paul has just done. It's fully given. <coughs> the Lord didn't just stand by him that Paul would feel okay, that he'd feel better. We can whenever we, we look at the Lord's strength, but He stood by Him because the truth mattered. And it goes beyond Paul. It's not about Paul anyway. It's about the Lord. See that in verse 17? When things are happening in your life, it's not about you. This thing is really not you. It, it, it's not about you. So, well, you don't know how I feel. Well, I see Paul's feelings and they're definitely there. And yeah, we should, hopefully we're getting support from people, but even if we don't think we are, it says the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That's giving glory to God. How do you give glory to God? Well, that's certainly a way, isn't it? Um, you look in Deuteronomy back to the Pentateuch. My, the time just 
flies by again, doesn't it? How does this happen? And this is the best part. But Deuteronomy, what did I say, 31? Back near the end of Deuteronomy. Good to turn back to the Old Testament, get an exercise on that, isn't it? Verses 6 through 8. This sounds like Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, your God, is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. You ever heard of that one before? He goes before you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Are you guys encouraged? You say, well, I know that. But it sure is good to be reminded. We need to be reminded every day. We need to, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we need to preach the Gospel to ourselves every day. We need to preach His grace every day. Isn't that good? You know, there's other passages we go to. We're just running out of time here. Joshua 1, five, where it said, Be strong and courageous. Basically the same thing. Moses telling Joshua that. God then has a message to Joshua and he says the same thing. And um, it says back to our second Timothy, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Why? Why did he do that? Well, you know, it's for it's for Paul, but even more so that through the proclamation, it's about the gospel, the proclamation, the krugma, might be fully accomplished. God had it already set out that Paul would be doing what he did, and that all the Gentiles. Might hear. Ones that needed to hear. I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. To the Gentiles. Paul's reason to exist is that the Gentile kingdom, the Gentile kings, the Gentile paupers might hear it. God brought him through all sorts of circumstances. From from Jerusalem to what was going to happen there, all the way to a dungeon in Rome, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Paul was at the shadow of death, but he was unshaken at this point. He knows he's going to be dying quickly. And he ever longed to preach the gospel to him. And of course, you look at his testimonies, and that's what it was all set for. No one is there but Paul as he is in court. No one to come to his side. And he says, the power of the Lord began to strengthen me for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And he's doing it right here in this letter. Courage. No doubt. No fear. And he knew Christ. And he knew he's ready to die. And Christians, be prepared to die. The moment one becomes a Christian, be prepared because you're going to die. Has there ever been anyone who has not died? <laughs> That's where we're headed. Believe it or not, we'd like to get that out of our minds. We'd like to erase it, but you're going to die. Unless you're part of that where you get caught up with the Lord and He changes your body there. But that's still, in a sense, this is still not going to be... You're just going to die, right? And we need to be prepared. We need to have the kind of thought that Paul 
has here. It's about the gospel. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his aches and pains. And I got a feeling if anybody had the privilege of being able to tell how bad he was, it could have been him. I mean, this guy was hurting bad. He had to have been. Delivered out of the lion's mouth. This tells you about danger in general. Out of the lion's mouth. Something like out of the jaws of death. You've heard of that? I was delivered out of the jaws of death. Many times he could have been killed. I had all these passages that we were going to look at today and I don't have time, but uh, you, you can look in the Second Corinthians where you know he, he has been uh, tortured and the shipwrecks and... Uh, my, there's in Second Corinthians, there's chapter four, there's chapter six, there's chapter eleven. All the different details of how he was beaten, and uh, how did he ever get through that? Only God did. Uh, he was left for dead as he was stoned to, to death. Uh, I think of one. I think of Psalm twenty-two, verse twenty-one. We've got to get to this one. And, and you know, the number of times he could have died, and you say, yeah, he was taken out of the lion's mouth in that sense, wasn't he? Psalm twenty two twenty one. Isn't this encouraging to us? Save me from the lion's mouth. There we go. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. You know, it could be a literal sense, but I think uh, there it's just out of the jaws of death it makes sense. Psalm thirty five, verse seventeen, while you're in the Psalms. Oh my Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. <laughs> there were lions out there, but all the things that it went through. Um, the Lord says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Paul was like a Daniel in the lion's den. Remember that? That was literally a lion. And it doesn't mean, as he's saying here, you know, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He's not saying that, hey, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, he's never going to die. Uh, it doesn't mean that he, you know, will escape death, but he'll be vanquished from Satan. It will, you know, or, or to turn away from the right course and and go into uh, an ungodly lifestyle and be blaspheming God and such. He, he could have suffered a hundred deaths, and he almost did. But he would take that over something that can come in and pollute his mind, you know, by uh, evil work. He wants, and he sees that God has kept him pure, preserved him pure, unblemished from evil actions. It doesn't mean that sin isn't going to be around you. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you again. Because it certainly did in Paul's sense, but the Lord will deliver me from all evil deeds, all sin, all temptation. Um, he will deliver all the plots against the rescued from the lion's mouth. And even if it does mean that we die, we go on to be with Him. Where is He at? He's in a stinking, rotten, wretched, smelly, filthy, gross dungeon. That's where He's at. It's a hole in the ground. And yet at the same time, he says he's delivered me from every evil deed. You say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He says, the Lord, remember, the the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And here's where he's pointing to. He'll bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. No matter what I go through here, here's what counts. The reality of the fact that there is a heavenly kingdom 
and He will be lifted there. His faithful Lord. He knew that His um, time was coming, but He will go to a heavenly kingdom. That means eternal glory. In spite of all my difficulties, Paul says, in spite of the loneliness that I have here, in spite of the deprivation that I have, in spite of the pain, the Lord will bring me to His glory. He knows it without a doubt. And it's only in His good timing. Look what all happened to Him. He'll bring me to His heavenly presence. He knows it. He knows that His time is really close. And He finishes it off with this. And you would think it was the end of the letter. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen! And everybody says that's the end of the epistle. P.S. Forgot some people. So we'll do the P.S., the postscript, next week. But I do want to tell you, that is a good way to finish for that very moment. It's perfect. To Him be the glory. See, it's not about me, Paul says. You know where I'm at and everything. And you know, I have the feelings for this. But the Lord, He strengthens me. But the Lord rescues from me. He's done it all throughout. All the beatings and the punishments and then and the stonings and everything that happened to him, the shipwreck and all that. It's an amazing thing. God did supernatural things, but there's a time that He's got to go. There's a time that we just got to go. That'll be nice. He had to go. <laughs> Are you ready? And that's the point. Are you ready? Are you ready to die? Now that's a terrible way to end a message. But what does it mean? That's, it's when you see past this, and that's what Paul did. He was ready to die. He knew he was going to die. We do too. You can see where we're going to the heavenly kingdom. Much better. That's focused on Him and His glory. So here's the reality. Yes, we're here. And yes, we are to do what we do. And yes, we are to pray that God's blessing would be upon us in what we do. And Lord, keep me from the, the temptations and keep me from the things that, that can uh, physically take me away from the things that I should be doing. We should be praying for that. But yet at the same time, having a focus upon the glory of the Lord. And that's where you'll be content. Pray. Father, You are glorious. And to You, the glory forever and ever. Amen.